0: There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. God leads me in right paths for its name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Our second reading today is from Job chapter 39, verse one through 30. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth do you observe the calving of the deer can you number the months that they fulfill and do you know the time when they give birth when they crouch to give birth to their offspring and are delivered of their young their young ones become strong they grow up in the open they go forth and do not return to them who has let the wild donkey go free who has loosed its bonds to which i have given the step for its home salt land for its dwelling place it scorns the tumult of the city it does not hear the shouts of the driver it ranges the mountains as its pasture and it searches after every green thing is the wild ox willing to serve you will it spend the night at your crib can you tie it in the furrow with ropes or will it harrow the valleys after you Will you depend on it because its strength is great and you will hand over your labor to it? Do you have faith in it that it will return and bring your grain to your threshing floor? The ostrich's wings flap wildly, though its pinions lack plumage, for it leaves its eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that a wild animal may trample them. It deals cruelly with its young as if they were not its own, though its labor should be in vain. Yet it has no fear, because God has made it forget wisdom and given it no share in understanding. When it spreads its plumes aloft, it laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its neck with mane? Do you make it leap like the locust? Its majestic snorting is terrible. It paws violently, exults mightily. It goes out to meet the weapons. It laughs at fear and is not dismayed. It does not turn back from the sword. Upon it, rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, it swallows the ground. It cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, it says, aha. From a distance, it smells the battle the thundering of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your wisdom that the hawk soars and spreads its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high? It lives on the rock and makes its home in the fastness of the rocky crag. From there it spies the prey, its eyes see it from far away, its young ones suck up blood. And where the slain are, There it is. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God.
1: I give this proclamation today as a Jewish member of the Covenant family, a Christian Jew, if you will. When Laura suggested that I preach on Earth Day, I was put in mind of members of our community no longer on Earth. In the last year, we have lost Martha Murphy, Ann Pirtle, Margot Hibbler, Mary Lee Burris, Charlene Hooker, Sidney Burris. They were our elders. They were founders and builders of covenant. They were people of faith and commitment to the future. We have obligations to them, to work toward the just and loving and sustainable world that they work towards. Our obligation to future generations includes obligations to past generations. We share the earth with animals. They are our fellow creatures. In the last few years, I have come to really know this. I have come to feel it, not just understand it intellectually. Ten years ago, I was sitting one afternoon on a porch in the hill country watching birds come to a feeder, help themselves to some bird seed, and fly off. All of a sudden, I noticed that the cardinal I was watching was watching me. He cocked his head as if to say, Who are you, and what are you doing here? Before I had a chance to give an accounting of myself, he flew away. That cardinal's question flipped a switch in my mind. This is no small thing. Think about it the next time you encounter an animal you have never met, pets not included. All animals are fellow beings with whom we share the earth. The heron who flies over the bayou, the turtle that basks in the sun, and also the hungry crocodile who comes out of the water, his jaws crushing the mother egret and swallowing her whole, and the jackal, who waits and pounces on innocent prey, the coyote, the javelina, the diamondback rattlesnake, and the lion who does not lie down with the lamb. These are all fellow beings. In the Bible, we humans are latecomers to the party of creation. Before God got to us, God created living creatures that swarmed the waters, winged fowl that flew over the earth, and sea monsters, and every living thing that creeps. And God saw that it was good. A Hasidic rabbi used to remind his students of the order of creation. Even the mosquito was created before you, he used to say. In the creation story, God is telling us, I made the animals, you didn't. In Genesis 1, after God creates male and female, God blesses them with an injunction to hold sway over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all living things that creep on the earth. The phrase hold sway over, more often translated as have dominion over, contains the implication that humankind will flourish as long as we are good stewards of the earth and all living creatures. And if we are not good stewards, we will be overwhelmed. In the book of Job, God gives Job a reminder of this. Out of the whirlwind, God asks, do you know the season when the mountain goats give birth? Can you mark the time when the red deer calves? Do you give might to the horse? Do you clothe his neck with the mane? Does the hawk soar by your wisdom? By your word does the eagle mount and set his nest on high? Earth Day, founded just over 50 years ago, is another reminder. And we have not been good stewards. Heedless human activity has produced changes in our climate that amount to an existential crisis for all of us, especially those from poor countries in the Middle East and Central America and South Asia, and poor people and people of color in the Northern Hemisphere who live closer to sources of pollution and lack resources to respond to drought and heat and floods. In the last 15 years, it has become clear that we live in a new geological era, the Anthropocene, when human activity is the major influence on nature, the climate, the environment, and we are living with the consequences. The warming of the planet, the destruction of habitats, rising waters due to the melting ice sheets, the vast reduction of living species known as the sixth extinction, unpredictable droughts and fires and storms. And in the last 50 years, celebration of the earth and movements for environmental protection have generated global attention and produced important regulatory legislation and international treaties such as the Paris Climate Accord but we are very far from making the drastic changes needed to avoid increasingly catastrophic events. In Genesis 6, when God sees that the earth is filled with human decadence and lawlessness, God decides to send the flood. We know the story of the flood, and Noah, and the ark, but we don't usually remember that after the floodwaters succeed, and all the animals leave the ark to start life in a new world, Noah plants a vineyard and gets drunk. While while traditional rabbinic commentary is often hard on Noah, I say, good for you, buddy. Thanks for saving us all. After the floods recede and life begins anew, God promises never again to send a flood to destroy all flesh. He sends Noah a rainbow in the sky, a sign of an everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures. Why did God promise never again to destroy the world, knowing that human beings are as innately drawn to evil as they are to good? Perhaps God came to terms with the morally fragile humans that God created. Or perhaps God came to terms with God's own destructive tendencies. In contrast, in mainstream Jewish theology today, God is not vengeful, and not all-powerful, but rather self-limiting. And God's creation is broken, it's imperfect. And humans are commanded to repair the broken world. In Hebrew, tikkun olam. Human beings are given free will, and we live with the consequences of our choices. And this time, we are responsible for the earth and its animals. Here we are, 2,500 years later, facing, again facing rising sea waters that threaten to destroy coastal cities around the globe. And we are also suffering from droughts and what James, James Baldwin might have called the fires next time. Last weekend, I went to Austin to visit my three-year-old grandson. His name is Noah. On the way home, I listened to Lydia Millett's novel, A Children's Bible which is a blistering dystopian allegory of generational conflict set in the context of a catastrophe brought on by the rapidly warming climate. The novel follows the teenaged Evie and her little brother Jack, who spend the summer together in a lake house, along with children of their parents' other parents' wealthy friends. And while the parents spend their days in the house blissfully drunk, The kids wander through nature, desperately avoiding their parents to the point of competing to see who can hide from them the longest. The vacation, however, begins with a sense of foreboding. Something is about to happen. As Evie remarks, at that time in my personal life I was coming to grips with the end of the world, the familiar world anyway, and sure enough when a huge storm brings flooding and destruction The world as she knows it comes to an end. And Evie and others find themselves navigating a new and chaotic terrain. A children's Bible, the structure of a children's Bible follows the general narrative framework of the Bible. There's a flood, followed by a plague, an exodus, a surprise birth, just a few miles east of a town called Bethlehem. In the novel, however, there is no Noah, and there is no resurrection. Instead, the novel follows the young boy Jack, who comes from a secular family, as he begins to read the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, and comes to the conclusion that there is no conflict between believing in God and believing in science and the primacy of nature. Here, as uh, as Millet has said in other interviews, She's challenging evangelical and right-wing Christianity, which is primarily skeptical about the role of humans in climate change and opposed to doing anything about it. But among young evangelicals, she notes, there's a strong movement to acknowledge and fight the human sources of climate change. The young are educating the old. A children's Bible is about the coming of age of the climate change generation. It is about the anger of young people who don't yet run the world, but they are beginning to bear the brunt of the effects of our negligence. It is about the climate and extinction crises and the systemic injustices that are the legacy of those of us in the second half of life. Where does that leave us? It's easy to feel overwhelmed and it's easy to feel depressed as time grows shorter to avoid the worst changes. I witnessed this among my medical students. As they come to see the effects of climate change on human health. But then, I see them gird their loins, learn more, and take action in public policy, patient care, politics, medical education, and personal lifestyles. You may think, oh, nothing I do can make a difference. This is not true. Take, for example, the 14-year-old Swedish girl, Greta Thunberg, who, in ninth grade, sat outside the Swedish parliament every Friday as part of a climate strike, demanding that Sweden cut its carbon emissions by 15% a year. A year later, she led a global climate strike, the largest in history. Her book is entitled, No One, No One is Too Small to Make a Difference. In In the Jewish tradition, all of us are required to work towards tikkun olam the healing of the world, and we would all do well to remember the ancient rabbinic injunction, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. So here are just some personal things you can do on Earth Day, or any day, just pick one of them. Analyze your personal impact on the planet and develop a more sustainable lifestyle. Start with energy consumption, fuel consumption, diet. Be an advocate, join groups, 350.org, RISE, retirements, retirees and service to the environment. Gray is green. Support an eco-friendly charity, sign up for a class, plant a tree, start a garden, clean the air, eat sustainably, and help reduce erosion. Have a farm to, have a farm to table dinner party. Go dark for a day. Change your light bulbs. Develop a community initiative. Reduce carbon imprint. Build a build a home or a, re, or a work recycling center. Go solar. Cut back on plastic. Challenge your friends. Just get started. There are also many hopeful signs and accomplishments that emerge from Earth Day, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act, the Weather, the Water Quality Improvement Act the Toxic Substances Substances Control Act, and we now have an administrative, an administration that is making climate change a top priority. It needs to be our priority as well. We are just beginning. So let me conclude with the poem Beginners by Denise Levertov. But we have only begun to love the earth. We have only begun to imagine the fullness of life. How could we tire of hope? So much is in the bud. How can desire fail? We have only begun to imagine justice and mercy, only begun to envision how it might be to live as siblings with beast and flower, not as oppressors. Surely our river cannot already be hastening into the sea of non-being. Surely, It cannot drag in the silt all that is innocent. Not yet, not yet. There is too much broken that must be mended. Too much hurt we have done to each other that cannot yet be forgiven. We have only begun to know the power that is in us if we would join hands in our solitudes and join the communion of struggle. So much is unfolding that must still complete its gesture. So much is in the bud. Продолжение